This week, C-SPAN covered 2024 presidential candidates as they reacted to results from New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation primary and turned their sights to South Carolina. On this week's 2024 campaign trail, we'll hear from former President Donald Trump as he claimed victory in the Granite State's primary, and from United Auto Workers President Sean Fain, who delivered the union's endorsement for President Biden's re-election campaign. But first, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley's remarks from Wednesday in North Charleston, South Carolina, where she kicked off a campaign swing through her home state. In the latest Emerson College poll of South Carolina GOP voters, the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations trails former President Trump by 29 points. you. Well, they can't say we don't love each other in South Carolina because y'all are squeezed in here really good. We love it. You know, I can tell you we were in Iowa and the wind chill was negative 40. And we had a good time. And then we went to New Hampshire and it was like seven degrees. But the people in New Hampshire were really good to us. But let me tell you, when we got off the plane this morning, it's a great day in South Carolina. You know, we started this race. There were 14 people in the race. We had 2% in the polls. And we worked our way up. So we ended up in Iowa with 20 points. We came to New Hampshire and we had 40-something points. And so we were very excited last night because we saw that we had gone up 25 points in a month and we were thrilled. So we got out there and we did our thing and we said what we had to say. And then Donald Trump got out there and just threw a temper tantrum. He pitched a fit. He was, he was insulting. He was doing what he does. But I know that's what he does when he's insecure. I know that's what he does when he is threatened. And he should feel threatened, without a doubt. You know, it's interesting because a few days ago, he was going on and on about me. I mean, for a while on and on about why I didn't send in security to the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> he said it over and over and over and over again. I mean, somebody's got to tell him I wasn't there on January 6th. I've never been at the Capitol working in a job like that, but I think he was a bit confused, and so we'll let that pass. But the thing is, you look at what's happening. And out of everything that he said in his rant, he didn't talk about the American people once. He talked about revenge. He didn't talk about the fact that we've got an economy in shambles and an inflation that's un out of control. He didn't talk about the fact that we only have 31% of eighth graders in our country who are proficient in reading. He didn't talk about what we were going to do to get the lawlessness on the border under control. He didn't talk about what we were going to do to bring law and order back to our country. He didn't talk about what he was going to do to help all the wars that we're in and to keep us from going to war. He didn't talk about any of that.
And so he'll go on. And, you know, even on that day where he was going on and on about January 6th, you know, we talked about, okay, he was having a moment. He was confused. But it also goes back to why I've continued to push for mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. And so he got upset, and he said that he would take one, and he'd challenge me to one, and that he would beat me. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But what I said is, okay, well, if that's the case, then get on a debate stage and let's go. Bring it, Donald. Show me what you got. You know, it's great to be here back in South Carolina, and we've been through so much together. I mean, you go back and you look at all the fights that we've had and all the things we've done to better South Carolina. It makes me so proud. The first thing I think about is what happened when we saw a lot of legislators voting by voice vote. What did we do when we were here in South Carolina? We said we weren't going to have them vote by voice vote. We made them start showing their votes on the record for every one of you to see. We passed laws that made them show you how they made their income and disclose all the money that they had so that you could see that. We said if you have to show picture ID to buy Sudafed, if you have to show picture ID to get on a plane, you should have to show picture ID to protect the integrity of the election process. We passed voter ID in South Carolina. We went on and passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country. President Obama sued us and we won. We said no to Guantanamo Bay prisoners. We said no to Syrian refugees. We passed tort reform. We did pension reform. We cut taxes. We paid down our debt. And South Carolina was proud. We started building planes with Boeing. We built more BMWs than any place in the world. We brought in Mercedes-Benz. We brought in Volvo. Five international tire companies. And yes, they were referring to us as the beast of the Southeast, which I still love. We brought that 11% down to 4%. We were union busters and said, don't come into this state. We went a step further and we said that we were going to start making South Carolina work again. We opened up industry. We opened up business. We started getting our kids back on track. There were so many things that we did together. And when you think about all of that, just think about if we can translate that over. We didn't just do those things that you typically do. We did some other things that were really special. We moved 35,000 people from welfare to work. (laughs) 
We put reforms in our prison system, and South Carolina now has the lowest recidivism rate in the country. And by the time I left being governor, we were named the friendliest state in the country, the most patriotic state in the country, and the one you're not going to be so happy with me about, we were named the number two state in the country people were moving to. <laughs> But South Carolina has grown, and I've continued to be proud. And now you look at the country, and it's tough. You don't have to turn on the news to know how tough it is. We are $34 trillion in debt. We're having to borrow money just to make our interest payments. China owns some of that debt. Now, I would love to tell you that Biden did that to us. And he sent us down this roller coaster of socialism that's dangerous that we have to stop. But I've always spoken to you in hard truths through good times and bad. And I'm going to do that with you tonight. Our Republicans did that to us too. You go back and look at that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill that they passed with no accountability. They expanded welfare that's now left us with 80 million Americans on Medicaid, 42 million Americans on food stamps. That's a third of our country. And did Republicans try and make it right? No. They doubled down and opened up earmarks for the first time in 10 years, passing through 7,000 of them last December. Want to know how they spent your money? $30 million on an honors college in Vermont, $10 million to, to tear down a hotel in Alaska, $7.5 million on a courthouse in Colorado, and the list goes on. In the 2024 appropriations budget, Republicans put in $7.4 billion worth of pet projects and earmarks. Democrats put in $2.8 billion. Now you tell me who the big spenders are. All while one in six American families can't pay their utility bill, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, 50% of American families can't afford diapers, homelessness is up 12%. 650,000 Americans are homeless. Something's got to give. There are very few people who understand the value of a dollar, but I do want to say I have one friend that I am proud that stands with me because he fights for your tax dollars every day. Ralph Norman, thank you, thank you, thank you. He helped me fight the political elite at the State House. He's fought the political elite in Congress. Ralph, keep fighting. I'm coming and we'll do it together. So how do we fix our economy? The first thing we do is let's claw back the over $100 billion of unspent COVID dollars that are still sitting out there. Instead of 87,000 IRS agents going after middle America, let's go after the hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID fraud. One out of every seven dollars was spent fraudulently. If 8% of our budget is interest, quit borrowing. Cut up the credit cards. You have to balance a budget every day. I had to balance a budget as governor 
Why is Congress the only group that refuses to balance a budget? We'll stop the spending, we'll stop the borrowing, we'll eliminate the pet projects and earmarks, and I will veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. That will save us trillions. And then we're going to reduce the size of the federal government. We're going to take as many federal programs as we can and send them down to the state level. Think education, think health care, think welfare, think mental health. If we were to take those resources, cut the strings, and send them down to the states, those resources are better used when the people are involved in how they're functioning. And, and then we need to open up the middle class. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to eliminate the federal gas and diesel tax in this country. We're going to cut taxes on the middle class and simplify the brackets. And then we're going to make the small business tax cuts permanent. They made the corporate tax cuts permanent. They took care of the corporations, but they didn't take care of the small businesses. When we make those permanent, that is showing what I have always believed. Small businesses are the heartbeat of our economy. We need to start acting like it. And when it comes to education, we knew in South Carolina, if a child couldn't read by third grade, they were four times less likely to graduate high school. So instead of pushing them forward, we started holding them back. We brought in their parents. We did reading remediation, and we set them up for success. We have got to do that all over our country. Only 31% of eighth graders are proficient reading. We've got to get our kids reading again. And then we need to make sure that no parent should ever wonder what's being said or taught to their child in the classroom. We need complete transparency in the classroom. We will put every curriculum online for every parent to see. And that goes back to the fact that parents have one job. And that's to make sure we do right by our parents. That's why every parent should be able to decide which mode of education or which school their child goes to. Every child deserves a good education regardless of where they're born and raised. Stop mandating them based on a zip code. And then let's start building things across the country like we do in South Carolina by putting vocational classes back in the high schools. And as a point of personal privilege, to all you girl dads out there and all you strong moms, we have to raise strong girls. Strong girls become strong women. Strong women become strong leaders. And none of that happens if you have biological boys playing in girls' sports. We've got to cut that out.
And then when it comes to the border, right? It doesn't even look like the United States of America anymore. I can't believe our country would allow this to happen. Eight million illegal immigrants have come to that border. We had enough fentanyl cross that border last year that would kill every single American. Number one cause of death for adults 18 to 45, fentanyl. And don't think for a second China doesn't know what they're doing when they send it over. You know in South Carolina, when we put that, the toughest illegal immigration law in the country, when Obama sued us over it, we fought and we won. We need to take what we did in South Carolina and we need to go national with it. You don't just do a, a border wall. We'll do a national E-Verify program so every business has to prove that the people they hire are in this country legally. We will defund sanctuary cities once and for all. No more safe havens in America. We'll put 25,000 Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. We'll go back to the Remain in Mexico policy so that no one even steps foot on U.S. soil. And instead of catch and release, we'll go to catch and deport. That is how we will take care of the border. And you know, growing up in Bamberg, South Carolina, Oh, we got one person from Bamberg out there. <laughs> My parents always taught me that you take care of those who take care of you. I'm going to ask you for taking care of those who take care of us. Right now in America, over 35,000 of our veterans are homeless. One in three suffers from PTSD or thoughts of suicide. We lose 22 heroes a day to suicide. If a veteran needs a doctor's appointment at the VA, on average, takes 29 days. Why 29 days? Because on the 30th day, they can go to the doctor or hospital of their choice. So midway through the 29 days, they get a call to reschedule, and the clock starts all over again. It's shameful how we treat our veterans. Now, you know I'm the proud wife of a combat veteran who served in Afghanistan. <laughs> he was deployed when I was governor. He left me as a single mom governor, and yes, we are still married. God bless him. But you know, when he came back home to us, that was a lot of prayers answered. But that was the easy part. When we got home, life got hard. Michael couldn't hear loud noises. He couldn't be in crowds. Life had passed him by for the year that he was gone, and the transition was tough. We can't just love our men and women when they're gone. We got to love them when they come back home, too. Let's do more than just the two-week transition. Let's take care of them for the long haul. And we'll do that by having telehealth. Let's get them the mental health care they need right when they need it. 
We'll let them go to the doctor or hospital of their choice. They've earned that right. And the way I think we're going to take care of veterans' health care, I think every member of Congress should have to get their health care from the VA, and you watch how fast that gets fixed. It'll be the best health care you've ever seen, guaranteed, if we do that. So we've talked about the domestic policies. Now let's talk about national security. The world is on fire, literally. You've got a war in Europe. You've got a war in the Middle East. You've got North Korea testing intercontinental ballistic missiles. You've got China on the march. But make no mistake, none of that would have happened had we not had that debacle in Afghanistan. You know, I never mind protesters like that because my husband and his military brothers and sisters sacrifice for us every day for them to be able to do that. We are blessed to live in America. So the idea that Michael and his military brothers and sisters who served in Afghanistan had to watch us leave Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without telling our allies who stood shoulder to shoulder with us for decades because we asked them to be there. Think about what that told our friends. More importantly, think about what that said to our enemies. We've got to start looking at foreign policy differently, right? I'll give you an example. When I was at the United Nations, and we moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. We were, con <laughs> we were condemned by the entire world, and I was proud to take on that fight. But I was mad, because America can put our embassy wherever we want. We have always put it in the capital of every country. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and we were acknowledging a truth. But I went to my office and I said, I want you to put a book together. I want you to list all 193 countries at the UN. I want the second column to be the percentage of times they voted with the US and against the US. And I said, I want the third column to be how much foreign aid we give them. I took that book and I gave it to President Trump. He lost his mind. He's flipping pages, he's yelling out countries. And I said, look, I'm not saying we give foreign aid based on a percentage vote at the UN, but that should be one of the things we look at. Quit trying to buy friends. Quit trying to pay off enemies. Do you know last year we gave $70 billion in foreign aid? Want to know who we gave it to? Iraq that harbored terrorists that tried to kill our soldiers. 
Zimbabwe, the most anti American African country there is. Belarus, who's holding hands with Russia as they invade Ukraine. Cuba, who we named a state sponsor of terrorism, where they are now putting up a spy base with China. And the one that makes me sick to my stomach, we gave money to China. How weak do we look? When I am president, we will no longer give money to countries that hate America. And when it comes to our biggest national security threat, we have to start taking China head on. China's been planning war with us for years, and that's not me exaggerating. They're already here. They've already infiltrated our country. They have 400,000 acres of U.S. soil, most recently near Grand Forks Air Force Base, where our most sensitive drone technology is. They've put millions of dollars into our universities, stealing our research, spreading Chinese propaganda. Everybody was upset about the Chinese spy balloon, right? I mean, we have beautiful beaches, but that is not why that spy balloon went over there. <laughs> we now know that it connected with the internet company, picked up all that surveillance, and sent it to China. But what about the fact that 90% of our law enforcement drones in America are Chinese? So think about the mini surveillance that's happening. There are Chinese police stations throughout our country. We've got a Chinese spy base that just went off our shores in Cuba. We've had more Americans die of fentanyl than the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam Wars combined. 75,000 Americans last year alone. And China's building up their military at a scary pace. They now have 500 nuclear warheads. That's 100 more than they had last year. They have the largest naval fleet in the world. They have 370 ships. They'll have 400 ships in two years. We won't even have 350 ships in two decades. They're doing artificial intelligence. They're doing cyber. They're doing space. They're developing hypersonic missiles. We've barely gotten started. And now China's the lead developer of neurostrike weapons, weapons engineered to change the brain activity of military commanders and segments of the population. That's who we're dealing with. So don't let Biden tell you that China is a competitor. Because I dealt with China every single day at the United Nations. They never looked at us as a competitor. They always looked at us as an enemy. We've got to start looking at them the way they look at us. And the way we do that is we stop selling them any U.S. any U.S. soil, and we take back the land they've already purchased. We go to our universities and we say, "You either take U.S. money or you take foreign money." But the days of taking both are over, and we get that foreign intrusion out of our schools. We blacklist any technologies that builds up their military and threatens America. And we go to China and say, we're going to end all normal trade relations with you until you stop murdering Americans with fentanyl. You watch how fast they move. They need our economy. And then we build up our military. Strong militaries don't start wars. Strong militaries prevent wars. 
And the way you build up a strong military is not by throwing a lot of money at it. You actually clean it up. You get rid of the bureaucracy. You get rid of the red tape. You make sure they stop playing favorites with defense contractors. And instead, what you do is you modernize. Right now, we've got too many generals focused on wars of the past, land, air, and sea. They need to be looking at the threats of the future, artificial intelligence, space, cyber, hypersonic missiles, submarines. Those are the things we're going to need for the future. And when you think of national security, you have the backs of your friends, you call out your enemies, and your number one goal is always to prevent war, period. So we know what we need to do domestically. We know what we need to do with national security. But now we've got to acknowledge some hard truths to get that to happen. Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. That is nothing to be proud of. We should want to win the majority of Americans. But the only way we're going to win the majority of Americans is if we have a new generational conservative leader. We have to leave the negativity and the baggage behind and focus on the solutions of the future. Now, here's another hard truth. I voted for Donald Trump twice. I was proud to serve America in his administration. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And y'all know I'm right. Chaos follows him. And we can't have a country in disarray and a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. You don't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And the other hard truth is you can't fix anything if you don't win in November. You look at any of these general election polls, and Joe Biden and Donald Trump are even. We're going to see the same thing we saw in 2018, in 2020, in 2022. It, and that's a smart man right there. If you've lost three times, what makes you think the fourth time is going to be different? Now, I am in every one of those same general election polls, and I defeat Biden by up to 17 points. That's bigger than the presidency. That's governorships, that's House, that's Senate, that's all the way down to the school board.
If we go into D.C. with a double-digit win, that is a mandate to stop the wasteful spending and get our economy back on track. That's a mandate to get our kids reading again and go back to the basics in education. That's a mandate to secure our borders with no more excuses. That's a mandate to have law and order back in our country, and that's a mandate for a strong America that we can be proud of. Don't you want that? Because we could have that, but it's going to take a lot of courage. Courage from every person in this room. Courage for me to run. And courage for every one of you to know, don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't play in this primary. It matters. <laughs> this is a choice between more of the same or going forward. More of the same is not just Joe Biden. More of the same is Joe Biden and Donald Trump. 70% of Americans have said they don't want another Donald Trump-Joe Biden rematch. The majority of Americans don't want to, the majority of Americans disprove of Donald Trump and they disprove of Joe Biden. And with everything going on in our country and our world, are we really going to give ourselves the choice of two 80-year-olds running for president? Now, I have talked about mental competency tests for over the age of 75. The reason I do that is not out of being disrespectful. We all know 75-year-olds that can run circles around us. And then we know Joe Biden. <laughs> we need to know that we've got people at the top of their game. These are people making decisions on our national security. These are people making decisions on the future of our economy. We've got to be smart about this. And both of those men have put us trillions of dollars in debt. Everybody talks about the economy that Donald Trump gave us. It was pretty good, right? But at what cost? He put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years. Our kids are never going to forgive them for that. So it's a real choice. And when you look at Joe Biden and Donald Trump, what do they talk about? They talk about the past. They talk about grievances. They're focused on their investigations, both of them. We don't have time for that chaos. We just don't. You know, the political elites in this state and around the country have said that we just need to let Donald Trump have this. Listen, we've only had two states that have voted. We got 48 more that deserve to vote. 
A presidential candidate has to get 1,215 delegates. Donald Trump has 32, and I have 17. So we are not going to sit there and just give up. We're going to sit there and we're going to fight because Americans deserve better than what they have in these two options, and we're going to give it to them. You know, six months ago, I dropped my husband Michael off at 4 a.m. for another year-long deployment. And I watched him and 230 soldiers pick up their two duffel bags of belongings to go to a country they'd never been, all in the name of protecting America. They're willing to sacrifice their lives and their families because they still believe in this amazing experiment that is America. So if they're willing to fight for us there, shouldn't we be willing to fight for America here? Because we have a country to save. You know, when I announced, they asked me why I was running. And I said, my parents came here 50 years ago to an America that was strong and proud and full of opportunities. I want them to know that country again. I'm doing this for Michael and his military brothers and sisters because they need to know their sacrifice matters. They need to know that we love our country. I'm doing this for my daughter who just got married, and I saw how hard it was for her and her husband to buy a home. The average home buyer in America now is 49 years old. The American dream is leaving them. And I'm doing this for my son, who's a senior in college, and I am tired of watching him write papers of things he doesn't believe in just to get an A. That is not us. That is not America. And for the first time, 81% of Americans don't think their kids are going to live as good of a life as we did. We can't be okay with that. I'm not okay with that. We do have a country to save. But I'll promise you this. You have been with me before. If you will join with me again, one last time, you will go tell 10 people that we need them a month from today to vote in that primary, if you will go get your yard sign and go to NikkiHaley.com, do you know, by the way, that we have raised a million dollars since I gave that speech last night online in small dollars? We have had 200,000 donors from all 50 states. 95% of those donations are $200 or less. This is about real Americans. So if you join with me, if you join this movement, if you join us in this fight, 
I promise you, I will do exactly what I did for you when I was governor of South Carolina, and I will spend every single day trying to make you proud. Thank you very much, Charleston. God bless you. President Biden's re-election campaign was out this week with a new ad showing in South Carolina and other states taking aim at former President Trump over a mix-up he made recently, confusing his Republican rival Nikki Haley with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Next, a look at that ad, plus ads from the Trump and Haley campaigns that are playing in South Carolina right now. Last night, Trump is at a rally. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley... And he's going on and on mentioning me multiple times as to why I didn't handle January 6th better. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. They don't want to talk about that. I wasn't in office then. They're saying he got confused. You have voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. You have, you have ID to buy a loaf of bread. What? What is? I'm driving over a road where it's almost all paper. And you know, you can see paper. I know paper. I know cans. But all the time now, we see whales washing up on shore because of the wind. Uh... Our veterans don't have cell phones, do they? He got confused. He got confused and said he was running against Obama. He never ran against Obama. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. Obama wants to, he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, you mean President Biden. So, uh... Don't put our country at risk like this. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Americans were promised a secure retirement. Nikki Haley's plan ends that. Social Security, Medicare, how would you manage the entitlements? We say the rules have changed. We change retirement age to reflect life expectancy. What we do know is 65 is way too low, and we need to increase that. Increase that. Haley's plan cuts Social Security benefits for 82% of Americans. Trump will never let that happen. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Biden, too old. Trump, too much chaos. A rematch no one wants. There's a better choice for a better America. Her story started right here. America's youngest governor, a conservative Republican, and boy, did she deliver. It's a great day in South Carolina. Nikki Haley will cut taxes, close the border, and defeat the Chinese communist threat. America's new chapter, strong and proud. I'm Nikki Haley, and I approve this message. President Biden's campaign got a boost on Wednesday with a major endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union. Next, that endorsement from Union President Sean Fain. This election's about who will stand up with us and who will stand in our way. Those are the questions that will win or lose this election and will decide our fate. Those are the questions that will determine the future of our country and the fate of the working class. When I first came into office, we made some headlines by saying that our endorsements would be earned, not freely given. We've said we'd stand with whoever stood with us in our fight. 
not because somebody was nice to us and we want to be nice to them, but because we need to know who's going to put up and who's going to shut up And going even further, we need to know who's going to stand up with us. And this choice is clear. Joe Biden bet on the American worker while Donald Trump blamed the American worker. We need to know who's going to sit in the most powerful seat in the world and help us win as a united working class. So if our endorsements must be earned, Joe Biden has earned it. Next, a look back at former President Donald Trump's remarks from Nashua, New Hampshire on Tuesday after he won the Granite State's first in the nation primary. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Whoa. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary, we win the generals. We've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember, in 2016, we came here, and we needed that win, and we won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely when it was at 7. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But, but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last, last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against Crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night. And you, uh, you have the... You have the very, the now very unpopular governor of this state. This guy, he's got to be on something. I've never seen anybody with energy. He's like uh, hopscotch. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching this guy, and two weeks ago, he said, we're going to win, we're going to win in the land side. We're going to win. About three days ago, he started saying, well, we want to do well. That's a big difference. 
But I walked out just now, we're 14 points up, and I don't know what it's going to be. But when she was up here, it was like six or seven. And, you know, with like 7% of the vote counted. Now, uh, let, let me just tell you, we, uh, we had an unbelievable week last week in Iowa. We set a record. It was the best in the history of the caucus, in the history. And uh, I remember I sort of had the same feeling. I'm up and I'm watching, and I said, she's taking a victory lap. And we, we beat her so badly, she was... But Ron beat her also. You know, Ron came in second, and he left. She came in third, and she's still hanging around. The other thing, she only got 25% of the Republican votes. I don't know if you saw that. Tremendous numbers of independents came out, because in this state, because you have a governor that doesn't frankly know what the hell he's doing, in this state, in the Republican primary, they accept Democrats to vote. In fact, I think they had 4,000 Democrats, Democrats before October 6th. They already voted. Now, they're already voting because they want to make me look as bad as possible. Because if you remember, we won in 2016. And if you really remember, and if you want to play it straight, we also won in 2020. Yeah. By more. And we did much better in 2020 than we did in 2016. But as they said, we lost by a whisker, just by a whisker. No, 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 but we can't let that happen. You know, you have to have people that speak up. I said, I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory, it's wonderful, it's what, or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory. She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's gonna win, she's gonna win, she's gonna win. Then she, she failed badly. Now I have here, if he promises to do, to do it in a minute or less, but the only person more angry than, let's say me, but I don't get too angry, I get even. The only person, The only per because he was there, and he did fantastically well, by the way, and then he endorsed me. And we don't have to talk about Tim Scott, who, by the way, just got engaged, we have to tell you. And that's more important than all of this stuff. But a man that got to know her very well is Vivek. I said, Vivek. I said, Vivek. Go up and say a few words about it. He has to do it in one minute or less, and then we're going to just say, we had one hell of a night tonight. And one other thing before Vivek comes, do you see that, Paul? We're going to put it up. We have beaten Biden. You could almost say, who can't? Who the hell can't? The man can't put two sentences together. He can't find the stairs off a stage. Who can't? But. Vivek, one minute or less. Go do it, Vivek. What we saw tonight is America first defeating America last. That's what we saw tonight. If you want America last, you can go to Joe Biden. You got another candidate still apparently in the Republican primary. Cut your Social Security to fork over more money to Ukraine so some kleptocrat can buy a bigger house. Go to Nikki Haley. But you know who delivered a double-digit victory tonight? It is a double-digit victory as of right now. Is this man, Donald J. Trump, the leader of America first. 
and that means something. Now, USA and Donald Trump, America first. Now, I got, I got 30 seconds left. I want to make this point here, okay? We got to say this, we got to say this right. What we see right now with her continuing in this race is the ugly underbelly of American politics, where the mega donors are trying to do one thing when we the people say another. And it's up to us to we the people to at long last say hell no, we the people create a government that is accountable to us, and we the people have said tonight we want again, as we did in Iowa, Donald J. Trump. And so you want to actually speak truth, that's the truth tonight. And the only thing they're rooting for is an ugly thing that we don't want to see happen. That's what these people are rooting for, is playing to say long enough so the Reed Hoffmans and the ugly Democratic George Soros Juniors who are funding the lawsuits against Trump can prop up their puppet. We say no to that vision. I say the general election begins tonight, and this man will win it in a landslide. God bless you, Donald J. Trump. Vote Trump USA. Very nice, wasn't that nice? So, this was a great evening, and I want to thank everybody in the audience, and I want to thank the people that are standing behind me. You know, uh, I think we called it right, immigration's a big deal, a big deal, a very big deal. We have millions and millions of people flowing into our country illegally. We have no idea who the hell they are. They come from prisons, and they come from mental institutions, and it's gonna, it's just killing our country. And I'm talking about millions and millions and millions. They are drug dealers, they're everybody. And they come in just like walking right through. There's nobody to check, and there's nobody to vet. And we have a man with us tonight, Tom Homan, who is central casting, he's central casting. And I'd like you to say a few words about the border and who's going to solve that problem and how quick are we going to do it, Tom? Go ahead, please. Look, I worked for six presidents, not Ronald Reagan, and every president I ever worked for did something to secure the border. But no one did more than President Trump, the most secure border in my lifetime. the most secure border we've ever seen. And Donald Trump's going to do it again. We're going to lock the border down, and we're going to protect Americans. Because what's happening at the border right now, record number of Americans have died from fentanyl poisoning. Record number of migrants have died. A record number of women and children have been sex trafficked. A record number of known suspected terrorists across the border. There's one man who's proven he can secure the border, and he's standing to my left, Donald J. Trump. He's going to do it again. Thank you very much, Tom. So, this is an evening uh, that uh, I will not forget because it's the third time. But more importantly, uh, I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be the most important time. Uh, we won uh, both. It was—I uh, think they said somebody said you rarely—if you win both, they've never had a loser. Let me put it that way. When you win. Iowa and you in New Hampshire, they've never had a loss. There's never been. So we're not going to be the first, I can tell you. And I just, I just do want to reiterate the polls. We're way up on everybody. We're way up on Biden. And over the last couple of months, if you check, and you have to remember, in 2016, they were saying, oh, what does he know about elections? He's not going to win. He can't win. He can't win. Well, we won. 
And we got millions, and you can check this, and I hope the cameras don't turn off because they hate this, but we got millions and millions of more votes the second time. Right, Mr. Congressman? Millions and millions of more votes. And uh, but we had COVID and they used COVID to cheat and they did a lot of other things too. We're not gonna let that happen. And that's still and that's still going along. We don't forget you can never forget history because if you forget, you never you never recover from it and you repeat, you repeat, and we're not gonna repeat. We're gonna have the greatest election success. We're gonna turn our country around. In, if you take a look throughout the history of our country, if you took the 10 worst presidents in the history of this not great country right now, it's a country in decline, it's a troubled country, it's a failing country, frankly. But if you took the 10 worst presidents and put them together, the 10 worst, absolutely 10 worst, I used to say five. Remember, I started, I'd say five. Then I said, wait a minute, we can add another five. They would not have done the damage that crooked Joe Biden has done to our wonderful country. They would not have done the damage. There's never been anything like it. And you say, are they stupid people? I don't think so, because nobody can cheat that well if they're stupid. Do they hate our country? They must hate our country, because there's no other reason that they can be doing the things they do. Take a look. The taxes, they want to raise your taxes times four. They want to let the Trump tax cuts, the biggest tax cuts in the history of our country, they want them to expire. Your taxes are going to go through the roof. You take a look at regulations. They're throwing regulations. You can't breathe. You can't even breathe with what they're doing. You take a look at our border. So bad, there's never been a border like this in the world. Four years ago, we had the safest, best border in the United States. I built hundreds of miles of border wall, and they always say, oh, he didn't build hundreds of miles, because if there's a board laying on the ground, they say, that's a renovation. They call it a renovation. If there's two nails laying from 50 years ago, they say, oh, that was a renovation. These are very dishonest people, and you're always fighting them. And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. She's not going to win. But if she did, she would be under investigation by those people in 15 minutes. And I could tell you five reasons why already. Not big reasons. A little stuff that she doesn't want to talk about. But she will be under investigation within minutes. And so would Ron have been. But he decided to get out. He decided to get out. Now, Vivek, I don't think, would be at all because he's perfect, right? And Tim Scott, I know, would never. That's no chance. Hey, Tim, do you want to say something? Come on, come on. I want him to say something. New Hampshire. The president said a double-digit win in New Hampshire, and you delivered a double-digit win for President Trump. But I'm going to invite you to my home state starting tomorrow, where this election is over. It is time for the Republican Party to coalesce around our nominee and the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Let's get that party started tonight. What a good guy. What a good man he is. But just remember, I, I did hear Nikki say, and now it's off to South Carolina. Well, I love South Carolina. 
I, I love it. But, you know, she forgot one thing. She forgot one thing. Next week, it's Nevada. Next week, it's Nevada. It's not South Carolina. We love South Carolina, but next week, it's Nevada. And I'm pleased to announce we just won Nevada. We just won, 100%. Because all of them, they looked at it, and they took polls, and I was polling at 95% to 4 or 5%. And they decided not to play in Nevada. So we just won Nevada. We have a man from uh, Nevada here, Steve Wynn, wherever he may be. And John Paulson, the great John Paulson, made plenty of money in Nevada. Doesn't live there, but he makes a hell of a lot of money. He makes money everywhere he goes, actually. So money machine. Well, maybe we'll put you, you know what? Put him at Treasury. You want to make a little money? Let's put you. Anyways, good. Good to have you guys. Uh, but we go to Nevada, and that's been one, so we pick up all of those delegates. And then we do go to South Carolina, where we've done really well, where I've done well. We have a great governor and lieutenant governor and great everything, because almost every one of them have endorsed me. Two great senators, which is hard. I mean, did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? And think of it, appointed, and you're the senator of his state, and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's I, a shame. Uh-oh. I just love you. No, that's, that's why he's a great politician. That's why he's a great politician. So this is a great evening. And it is, you know, we are going to Nevada for a little while. We're not going to have to do too much. We have a great team there. But it's a team that uh, we can now send someplace else. They did a fantastic job. but. Uh, we, and it's a fantastic place, really a fantastic place. But we'll be leaving there very quickly. We'll head out to South Carolina, where I think we're going to win easily. I think we're 50 points up, 5-0. 5-0, 50 points up on a person that was governor. That tells you something. But I felt I should do this, because I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. And she did the same thing last week, but he was much more angry about it than I was. I said, get up there and you let him know. We are going to win this. We have no choice. If we don't win, I think our country is finished. I do. I believe our country is finished. We have an opportunity to do something so amazing. And the good news and the reason we have such support, the best numbers I've ever had, the reason we have support is because they are so bad at what they're doing and so evil. And they're destroying our country. So I want to thank, I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank this group of people. We will never forget you. We will never forget. And I made a pledge. I made a pledge to your state that you have the highest energy costs in the country. In the first year, they're going to be reduced by 50%, because we are going to drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. Inflation's going to come way down. But in the first year, your energy costs are going down by 50%. Thank you very much. We love you. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. We'll see you on the trail. And thank you, everybody. Thank you very much.
We will see you on the trail. Thanks. A reminder, this program and all of C-SPAN's campaign 2024 coverage can be found online at cspan.org slash campaign.